Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 171, which I feel certain must be prime because what the hell are you going to divide into it? I forgot to look. Yeah, but it just doesn't feel so very prime. I'm 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 going to I'm going to I'm going to take the risk. I'm just going to predict that it is. And mm-hmm. if anybody can figure out factors, I'd love to know what they are. Um all right. I am Dr. Brett Weinstein. You remain Dr. Heather Hying. We are here to discuss the important issues of the day, the future, should there be one. And uh, we are going we to head that direction very, very soon. Yeah, we are. Um, we're coming to you early today. It just occurred to me, you said, I remain Dr. Heather Hying. And I was thinking, well, I was a Hying assigned before birth. Mm-hmm. I was assigned Heather at birth. Yes. I was uh, assigned doctor much later. Um, but there was never any assignment of my sex because that's just what I am. No, no, there was an obstetrician involved. I feel certain of it. Just ask your mom. I, 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 that doesn't matter. Oh, <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> my I mom mean. matters. Hi mom. It's my mom's birthday today. Happy birthday. Mom. Happy birthday, Jesse. Um, but the, the fact of the obstetrician being there and observing something, uh, verifiably true about the universe uh does why why would we uh give the obstetrician more power than they actually have in uh in pretending why would we pretend that they are uh in charge of reality they're not so what you're saying is you had an old school obstetrician the kind that observes the universe as if that's a thing i have no idea i really have no memory of the day yes that's probably true yeah and for the best Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is live stream 171. And um, yeah, we're going to make it uh, short and sweet today. Apologies for coming to you earlier than we had uh, we had said we would. Uh, next week, we will co- be coming to you rather later than usual by about um, three days, uh, three days and a few hours. We'll be coming to you on, <clears throat> excuse me, Tuesday, May, <clears throat> wow, <clears throat> Tuesday, May 9th. Uh, and I can't remember what when we decided, 2 p.m. maybe Pacific, something like that. Um, but here we are today. No Q&A today. Uh, but if you are looking for more uh, for more Dark Horse content while we are away, uh, the conversation that you had with Mary Harrington is uh, is up, and that was released right before our previous live stream. We've been getting a lot of great feedback yeah, on that. people seem to love it. Yep. And um, and of course there are there are other uh, guest episodes uh, that you've you've done that we have generally failed to uh, mention here. Jeremy Riss, yep. uh, UFO specialist. Um, yeah. Yep. And uh, and I of course always put things out on natural selections. So our producer, our now nineteen year old son Zach, is freaking out because there's unexpected noise happening, and I have uh, I have news for him. It's birds I figured that out when I it's birds because after all they are in fact real and uh they're singing because it's spring which we're going to talk about just a little bit at the end of the hour today are ornithologists real yes some of them are crappy <laughs> well <laughs> some right. birds are crappy sure, too I mean, look, some there's, people there's, are crappy yeah i don't know why ornithology should be an exception to the rule that precisely that in every special yes uh, you know, I don't want to believe all ornithologists any more than I want to believe all anyone. I'll believe all ornithologists. That's that right. would be a thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's a niche. Although honestly, if I had, if, if I, if we have to pick a demographic by, you know, by either profession or immutable characteristic or whatever, I feel like a, a, a niche, a small niche purportedly scientifically trained group like ornithologists, I, I'd go with them sooner than I'd go with say 
doctors at this point. Ornithological confusions are unlikely to be immediately harmful. Maybe to birds. Possibly, right, right. Or I guess you could get salmonella if you ate chicken rare. Yeah, and when birds get, uh, you know, misidentified or misgendered, God forbid, uh, guess what? The birds don't care because birds are like, that's your language. Doesn't pertain to us. Okay. Bird brains. Very different from, you know, other kinds of brains. Very, actually, they have like, like is true for, uh, like is more generally true between mammals and birds. You know this already. Uh, they are not each other's closest relatives. The most recent common ancestor of birds and mammals was some stem reptile, um, because birds are descendants of dinosaurs, which are reptiles. Um, but birds and mammals have a tremendous amount of convergence between them, and um, some of that happens in the brains. Uh, but the part of our brain that's so gigantic, uh, our our um, our cortex, uh, is a different in different part of the brain that's been enlarged. Uh, a, a part of the brain that was primitively associated with smell, whereas the part of the brain that is enlarged for birds was primitively associated with vision. Two points of order. One, there are certain birds that have excellent senses of smell, but they are very much the exception. Like and there are certain and things. mammals that have excellent senses of vision, like primates. Like like us, mm-hmm. yes. Second point of clarification, stem had not been invented in the age of reptiles. It's not spelled differently so much as capitalized differently. Mm, got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. All right, well. One's a word, one's an acronym. Glad, glad we took care of that. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> at all. <laughs> Well, okay. <laughs> why should they be any different than any other day? No, that's not that's not how it is. Okay. Um, in natural selections this last week, I actually posted uh, some things from a long ago uh, program that I taught at Evergreen and got some some fun and interesting feedback because for um, uh, the, the the second of the two things I posted was was a bunch of the questions that I posed as part of the curriculum to my first year students uh, and. Um, you know, without, of course, providing the lectures, the readings, you know, all of the material that went along with those questions. But uh, I really love to see the conversation on natural selections about those questions and what what kinds of things it prompted people to think about. So uh, I encourage you to go take a look. If you haven't, that's, uh, of course, naturalselections.substack.com. Uh, we have the store where you can get all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and we are supported by you, our audience. Please subscribe. If you've been unsubscribed by YouTube, how dare they? They do that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But resubscribe. Subscribe on Odyssey. Uh, we have the main channel, the Clips channel. Please share whatever you feel like sharing. And also consider joining us on either of our Patreons, where we uh, do private monthly Q&As and, and private conversations. And also you can join the Discord server uh, with lots of fun things happening there at either of our Patreons. And, of course, we have sponsors. Uh, each show we start uh, the top of the show with uh, three ads for sponsors that we actually truly vouch for. And uh, here we go. This week it's Seed Uncruise, new to us this week, and have some Academias. Seed is our first sponsor, a probiotic that actually works. Your gut and your immune system work together, coordinating your body's response to the world both around and within you. Seed helps improve the health of your gut microbiome, which means that it supports you becoming healthier overall. Once you decide to take seed, though, how will you remember to do so? Try habit stacking. 
perhaps. Build a major habit by starting small. I have it stacked by keeping, excuse me, keeping a sentence a day journal by the side of my bed. I see it every night and it's a low bar to write a single sentence. If you take seed first thing in the morning, leave the jar on the bathroom counter each night. So it's the first thing you see when you get up. Just a little hint to remind you how, if, if you decide that you want to take it, how to remember. But why should you take it in the first place? Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for their benefits. 16 of those 24 strains are specifically geared towards digestive health, as you would expect from a probiotic. And four of the 24 probiotic strains are known to promote healthy skin. Your skin, like your gut, has its own microbiome. Seed supports both gut and skin health. Seed is free from 14 major classes of allergens, including but not limited to sugar, animal products, glyphosate, dairy, shellfish, and corn. Quite a list. And seed is basically double-hulled with its capsule in capsule design. This is this is the thing that in my mind makes seed particularly distinct among in a in a vast array of probiotics. It is engineered to uh, maintain viability through your digestive tract until it reaches your colon where you want it. The same design makes it resistant to oxygen, moisture, and heat, meaning that no refrigeration is necessary. So if you've taken probiotics before and have had no effect, it's probably because your stomach was doing what it's supposed to do and dismantling it, meaning that uh, <clears throat> what you were trying to get into your large intestine never got there. You take two capsules once a day on an empty stomach. This could be the first thing in the morning, 30 minutes before your first meal, or two hours after your last meal. Seeds Daily Symbiotic supports gut, skin, and heart health and micronutrient synthesis. We have heard from several people who have used seed and report improvements in digestive function in 24 to 48 hours. So start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com darkhorse and use code darkhorse to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO One Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com darkhorse and use code darkhorse at Check out. Double hold, huh? Double hold. That's right. Yeah, I like That's that. what I said. Uh, mm -hmm. you're, you're, yep. Can't argue with you. Sorry about the interruption. Okay, we're in the middle middle of our sponsors. Uh, we just heard about Seed and now Uncruise. Our second sponsor this week is brand new to us, Uncruise Small Ship Adventures. Uncruise explores by sea and by land. They have boats that hold orders of magnitude fewer people than most cruise boats, and they take their passengers to some of the world's most magnificent places. Panama and Costa Rica, Galapagos, the Sea of Cortez in Mexico, Alaska, even right here in our backyard, the San Juan Islands. The small boats of Uncruise allow passengers to get real deep experience. Their largest boat can accommodate a mere 86 guests. Their smallest holds only 22. These trips aren't about dress codes or glitz, people crammed cheek to jowl, unable to experience anything about where they are. We weren't sure when they approached us because we obviously have very high standards about um, about where we go and what claims are made by various tour operators. So we talked with CEO Dan Blanchard, the CEO of Uncruise, and we were incredibly impressed uh, with his background, his story, and his ethos. His boats take small groups of people to places that larger boats can't get to, and the excursions are designed to bring people into deep nature without destroying it. We talked about the value of wild roadless nature about the environmental destruction that much, much of the cruise industry causes, about exploration, and about observation. This is a kindred spirit, and he's running what appears to be a really excellent operation. Our travel standards are, as I said, very high, in part because we've created and led trips to many of the places that Uncruise goes, and we've seen firsthand that most tourists do not meet expectations. Our hopes are extremely high for Uncruise, though, and we'll know more soon. One of their itineraries goes to Glacier Bay National Park trip 
uh, National Park in Alaska, where each day offers possibilities to kayak or explore in a skiff or hike in old growth forest or glacial outwash fields. There's a lot more time on land with uncrews uh, than with these, these mega ships that, again, hold orders of magnitude more people than these boats do. Uncruise understands that the boat is just a tool. Their small ship cruises take guests through communities, cultures, and locales on the ground so they can have actual experiences. And every sailing with Uncruise is all-inclusive. Transportation, drinks, farm-to-table cuisine, daily excursions are all included. Uncruise is giving Dark Horse listeners a fantastic deal. $500 off their current cruises, an offer that you can combine with other savings, including their last minute to spring in Alaska trips, which are already discounted. So you can you can pile these uh, this deal on top of their other deals going on right now. So start planning your next trip with Uncruise today and take advantage of our great offer. Go now to uncruise.com slash pages slash darkhorse. Remember to save $500 on your trip. Go now to uncruise.com slash pages slash darkhorse. Once more, that's uncruise.com slash pages slash darkhorse to receive $500 off uh, any cruise that they do. You can tell it's a very different kind of cruise because on the list of equipment that they have you compile rubber boots. That's right. Yeah. Near and dear to our heart. I, again, I'm, I having, you know, we both ran a lot of domestic, um, uh, field trips and I ran a number of study abroad trips and the packing lists, especially for study abroad are incredibly important. Uh, especially when you're going into places where, uh, there is no commerce and, uh, you won't be able to buy things that you're missing. And the vast majority, if not all of the people you are going with have never been into places like this before. And so when I looked at their packing list, I, I felt again, a kindred spirit. I thought, okay, these people both know what they're doing and, um, are actually doing, uh, what they say they're doing else. They wouldn't bother asking people to bring along all of this type of gear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. Our final sponsor this week is House of Macadamias. Tree nuts are delicious and nutritious. They are generally high in fat, yes, and low in carbohydrates. That's good. Unlike what various food pyramids and government agencies might have led you to believe, high-fat, low-carb foods are increasingly understood to be both satiating and good for you. But each species of nut is different, and for many of us, macadamias are the best. Ain't that the truth? Macadamia nuts take a very long time to grow, however, and because they are both rare and highly sought after, they have the dubious distinction of being the world's most expensive nut. Between the taste and the health benefits, though, they are worth it. They have even fewer carbohydrates than most other nuts, for instance, half of what cashews or pistachios have and two-thirds of what almonds have which makes them a perfect snack for breaking a daily fast and controlling blood glucose. At some point, we should do a segment on cashews. It's the craziest thing ever. Like the the biology of cashews? The biology of cashews, the dual component fruit. It's a very odd nut that poisons a lot of people in the process. And am I right? They're closely related to mangoes? uh anacards yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's like okay cashews and mangoes i mean yeah, that's a very super close, poisonous but... family yeah totally um they anyway, are it's not about cashews this right right macadamia. They... what are macadamia nuts closely related to well they are i wish i knew uh they uh are also uniquely rich in omega-7s including especially palmitoleic acid i said it right you did and unsaturated fat that has been linked to natural collagen production and fat loss and heart health. That's too many ands, but you can subtract one later. The proteaceae. Those, proteaceae. Giant, those giant crazy flowers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Um, and House of Macadamias. Wait, what did you just say? I put too many ands in the sentence. Oh, okay. In part, okay. this also raises a mystery of reading, which uh, we dyslexics do not understand about the rest of you, which is how do you know how to inflect the sentence given that you haven't gotten to the end of it and you don't know what's coming? I mean, that is what punctuation is for. Uh, admittedly, it's not perfect, yeah, but, but that it, is what punctuation is for. Yeah, but when you for. say not perfect, like wildly screwed up and not in front, I mean, like, okay, in Spanish, at least they put a question mark at the beginning of the sentence, so you know it's a question. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the art in writing, but I also wonder if, uh, maybe we shouldn't do yeah. this in the middle of the sound, but okay, I'll hold the thought. You people, that's okay. all I got to say. No, but I, I do want to get back to this as soon as you're done here. All right. And House of Macadamias is intent on making this amazing food accessible to everyone. They have partnered with more than 90 farmers in Africa and now make one-of-a-kind vegan, keto, and paleo snacks. These include their dark chocolate dipped macadamias and a delicious assortment of bars made with 45% macadamia nuts in flavors including salted caramel and chocolate coconut. But our favorite product uh, of theirs is the simple salted macadamias made with Namibian sea salt, which I also pronounced correctly. They are amazing. We love them and think that you will too. House of Macadamias also makes delicious macadamia nut oil, which is 100% cold-pressed, rich in monounsaturated fatty acids, and has a higher smoke point than olive oil, so is well-suited to high-heat cooking and baking. Our House of Macadamias... No. <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> Our House of Academias highly recommends the House of Macadamias for all your macadamic needs. Go to www houseofmacadamias.com and use the code DARKHORSE for 20% discount on every order, plus Dark Horse listeners will receive a complimentary 4-ounce bag of macadamias when they order 3 or more boxes of any macadamia product. Once again, that's www.houseofmacadamias.com Use the code DARKHORSE for 20% off your order. You won't be sorry. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, I feel... <laughs> I think I got at least a B plus on the reading. So oh, you totally did. Yeah. So um, before before we get into the main main topic of the show, um, you asked during that read, how do non dyslexics inflect sentences appropriately when reading, given that you haven't gotten to the end of a sentence yet? You don't know what's coming. And my answer was, well, that's what punctuation is for. Um, that's also what good writing is for. Uh, but I also wonder if I think that when I read, certainly when I read to myself, reading out loud is is different. And then, of course, maybe you're not, you still have to understand meaning, but you don't have to inflect it vocally if you're reading to yourself, of course. Um, but I think that I scan ahead. You do. I, th I, th I think that I read simultaneous, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of words at once. And that this is part of, this is this is part of what people who are sort of like really immersed in writing, reading, you know, written, written language do. And it's part of what dyslexics kind of find baffling about the rest of us. Yeah, no, yeah. this is, this is exactly going to be my hypothesis is that you yeah. must be part of you is reading ahead. Yeah. Uh, and then your conscious mind is wherever it is in the sense. Well, and I mean, I think this also fits with our observation. So, you know, a couple months ago or so you put a number on our the moment we only have one camera we used to have three that was good and so as sort of a joke you put 17 on the one camera we've got uh as if we had you know anything more than a single camera which obviously does not need to be numbered in any way you could just be like the camera um, but you put it up there and i found it incredibly distracting because you put text even numerals anywhere in my visual sphere and I will go to it. I will like, that's, that's where I will orient. And I'll be constantly trying to figure like, what does that mean? Why is it, why is it there? 
And uh, I, you know, I in turn find it baffling that you can ignore the text in your visual environment. Right. And uh, I, having put it there, putting a prime number in a prime location, wondered why nobody had noticed that confluence of primes. I mean, it seemed so clear, and yet nobody... Now, have you noticed that I've reversed the 17? And... I, I told you to. Uh, yeah. Well, no, you told me to take it off. <laughs> oh, I did. And I, I did. reversed it. Yes. No, you reversed it right away. I was like, I can't. I, I, I can't live like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. I, it's just backwards now. It's it, a backwards yeah. seven and a it's backwards a trans- one. It, the, the, yeah. the, the camera came with like, I don't know, some huge number of numbers and you could pick one and slide it in there and I just I see. chose the 17. Okay. But yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Shall we um, move on to the topic of the day? Let's do it. And then we're going we're gonna to finish. We're going to spend most of the time here on what you're about to introduce here. And then we're going to talk a little bit about spring because it's spring here in the Northern Hemisphere. Finally. Ah, oh, it doesn't feel good. It really does. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, confession up front, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how to do this. What I want to do is explore a uh, a force that appears to be operating towards some sort of objective where the force isn't clear what it might be and the objective isn't clear what it might be, but it's throwing paradoxes left and right, and it is worth unpacking what this may be. So, loosely speaking, the topic is, what the hell happened to Tucker Carlson? There's a paradox in that at the very least. And what does it imply about where we are in history? What, what can we infer is taking place on the basis of this strange uh, turn of events? Now, let's just recap for people who uh, may have been living under a rock and don't know. What happened is... You know, whenever I use that phrase now, I think I should consider living under a rock. Living under... <laughs> yeah. Maybe one with a nice skylight, but a rock. Living under a rock yeah. where these things don't hit quite so hard. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah. All right. So what happened is Tucker Carlson appeared to be fired from his Fox News programs. There are more than one. Um, Tucker Carlson tonight being the biggest, but uh, Tucker Carlson today is also a, a daytime show. And what happened was... Tucker was over the weekend forbidden to return to his post. So he did a show on Friday that gave no indication of it being uh, his last show. Certainly there was no indication that he knew it was his last show. And then he did not arrive in his chair on Monday, the news having circulated that he was fired. Now, fired may turn out to be the wrong term. Megan Kelly reported yesterday that he was not fired, um, but I don't. I think it's a distinction without a difference. It's a const- contractual question. So his exit involves a contract that we have not seen. So we don't know what what kind of constraints Fox is uh, operating it's under. Is distinction without the difference if he didn't initiate the move? I think it is very clear he did not initiate the move. But that, I'm saying, like, it, it obviously fired, not fired, makes a big difference in less. If he didn't initiate the move, which if that's clear, then okay, distinction without a difference, that's yeah. fine. He was effectively fired yeah. in the sense that he would certainly have come on to say what he was doing and was not allowed to do that, and they had someone fill in for him. Sure. Okay, so that appears to be uh, a a paradox of sorts. And you and I have said in various places, I believe it's in our book, that paradoxes are a way that uh, one finds 
value, right? When there are no real paradoxes, everything has an underlying explanation in the universe. And if you look for a place that looks like a paradox and you dig there, often you find you learn something you didn't know. There's right there. It's like the X on the treasure map. It's the X on the treasure map. And so there's an X on the treasure map at the firing or de facto firing of Tucker Carlson last week. Why? Well, because the man is, whether you like him or hate him, so ferociously popular, has such an incredibly large audience compared to competing properties elsewhere in the mainstream media, that the idea that a conglomerate like Fox would throw him off the air, not only cutting their connection to the source of revenue that he was for them, but that they would also enrage his audience at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, but I would guess that the uh, the audience of Fox generally has huge overlap with Tucker's audience. He was the biggest star on... I've heard from more than one person uh, this week. Classical liberals um, who uh, had subscriptions uh, to Fox who are cutting him now. because And, and not to punish Fox, um, although that is a collateral benefit, but because that's why they were there. Yep, that's why they were there. And I know a tremendous number of people... I wouldn't even just say classical liberals. Lots and lots of people pay attention to Tucker because, in fact, he says a lot of stuff, including my personal take on it, is that he is frustrated at liberals who are failing to make the case for their values. And although he is a dyed-in-the-wool conservative, he understands that you don't want conservatism to win, that you want conservatism to play its role. You need liberalism to play its role. And that tension requires both parties to do their job. And liberals are falling down on that job in favor of other nonsense. And so he has been effectively making the case for liberalism, even though it's not his home turf, which I think is fascinating. But it does mean that there are a lot of people... It reveals a kind of honor. It does, which Mm -hmm. is another paradox. So Paradox one, why would something that is apparently a for-profit business like Fox fire its biggest star with the largest audience and enrage his audience, which has a huge overlap with the rest of their audience? And right? and the largest audience with maybe the only audience at Fox that has crossover appeal. Yeah, right. Or major crossover appeal. Yeah. The second paradox has to do with have you ever run across the claim that Tucker Carlson is, for example, a white supremacist? Sure. Yeah. You ever click through on the evidence that finally reveals he's no. finally said the quiet part out loud? I've never white... bothered. Yeah, you, know, you should. Much as, I mean, I, I did uh, occasionally early after Evergreen see what the evidence that you were, uh, but I, I stopped doing that too because right. it's, it's pointless. Well, I have made a point of doing it okay. always with some trepidation. Well, I will say not any longer because I've recognized the pattern. Which <laughs> right. is there's never any there. there. But at first, like, oh, God, what did I miss? Right. Who is oh this God. person? Right. So yeah. you look at the tweet. Yeah. It swears that he's finally revealed himself to be the white supremacist that he is. And then you click through and it turns out that he doesn't believe that our border should be open. Right. Mm-hmm. Hardly a white supremacist position. So anyway. Doesn't think some educational policies are actually good for black people. Right. 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 Not his same, back. Same thing. So yeah. the... That was the evidence of your white supremacy. <laughs> right. 
my white supremacy for which nobody in six years of uh, there being a bounty on my head has found any evidence of it, of course. So it's the same, same old, same old. Yep. But here's the here's the paradox, mm -hmm. and I I will say, and I I don't. This is unpleasant to recount because I now value Tucker and know him mm. and like him. I did not always like him, as you know. Um, in fact, I had a visceral uh, distaste for the man that is not common for me. I don't typically find people abhorrent, and there was something very troubling about him to me in the me CNN uh, crossfire days. Mm -hmm. And so I have been stuck with a question since first interacting with him when he, in the week that Evergreen uh, melted down, invited me to come on his program. And as you'll recall, but I will recount for the audience, I was reluctant to go on his show. I knew very little about what he had been up to in modern times. A, I couldn't be certain that it wasn't a trap. He and I were from op opposite sides of the political spectrum. Uh, his team was incredibly gracious when they reached out. Mm -hmm. And I, I decided, okay, he seems to want to know the story. Maybe that makes sense because the story of Evergreen's meltdown reflects poorly on liberalism. So I remember, this is, this is one of the conversations from that era that I actually remember explicitly and visually. Like I know where we had it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I know what room in our house in Olympia we had it in and how difficult it was uh, because uh, let's see evergreen melts down at 9 30 in the morning on a tuesday may 23rd, may 23rd yeah. yep, 2017 and i believe it's a friday and things have gotten crazier and worse and everything is happening and not a single major media outlet has reached out and you know we've gone to the state house and we've tried to get the governor to bring order to the campus and there's just no help coming it's getting worse and worse and worse and his people call and you've talked to them and you say i think i think i need to go on fox and not just fox but tucker and both of us are like oh god no like why why does it why does it have to be why isn't right why isn't the New York Times calling. Why isn't CNN calling? Why isn't NPR calling? Why aren't all of the supposedly left-leaning bastions of journalism calling at this incredibly anti-liberal, anti-democratic insurrection at a public college? Well, they weren't, and they never did. <clears throat> and Tucker's people did. And he went on. I went on. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was kind of a strange thing they sent a vehicle it's a long drive up to seattle from olympia and we got stuck in traffic so i was literally like threading the microphone through my shirt in the elevator they sat me down in the chair my hair is crazy you know i i'm shiny because nobody had any time to do makeup because uh anyway so and you know i couldn't see tucker because the way this studio is set up, you're just looking at a pair of eyeballs that have been drawn on a piece of paper above a, a camera. Anyway, very strange experience. And he's on the other coast. He's not, he's not in the same building yeah. with you. But anyway, the experience was one, you know, so here's somebody I don't like who I think is probably using me to make the case against liberalism. Um, and 
I'm there because the story needs to break into a larger audience. They are going to effectively snuff us out on the campus, and this mutiny is going to take hold of the place if I can't get the word out and nobody else is calling. So I go there because they've offered and there's no other place that will have me, and uh, and I'm expecting him to be using me, and that's not what I got. What I got was a compassionate guy who actually, in spite of the fact that I'm some liberal professor from a radical college, and this person is supposed to be my arch-political enemy, um, you know, I got nothing but decency from him. And he, I, he was not, you know, telling me, ah, you see, we conservatives were right, right? It, so anyway, the second paradox with Tucker is that many of us formulated an opinion of him and then in recent times, you'll find a whole host of liberals find safe harbor on Tucker's program. You know, from Glenn Greenwald, who has long been participating across a political divide with Tucker, uh, Matt Taibbi, um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, the list goes on and on. I just <clears throat> add a little more color to... Um... To your appearance there sure. and 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 how then that how then we live downstream of that while still being in you know in the crazy part of evergreen story uh which was that um within a day or two one of the faculty at evergreen declared in an email to all the faculty and staff when brett went on tucker the world shifted to the right and i looked at that and I thought about, you know, launching more things in there. Like I did not publicly respond, but I said, but at the same time, I was then monitoring your email because you were getting hundreds, sometimes, sometimes over a thousand emails a day at that point because it was public. It was your evergreen email, and it was it it, it was mostly from your appearance on Tucker Carlson, and and I've spoken about this and we've written about this before, but the thing that I saw in the people who said, I saw you on Tucker and, was amazing. And they would always begin with, uh, well, I'm on the right, you and I disagree politically, or I'm on the left, but I listen to Tucker because, or I'm in the middle of the country, or I'm in Tunisia, or I'm old, I'm young, I'm white, I'm black, I'm female, I'm male, like every demographic marker you could possibly expect, highly educated, um, self-declared, not educated at all, all of the possible demographics. And yes, this is a selected group of people who chose to write to you after seeing you on Tucker Carlson. But they said, thank you, sir. You and I surely disagree about many things. Maybe we don't, maybe we do. But I know that if I were to meet you, I could have a conversation with you and that is what is missing in American discourse now. And as a result of those, which continue to come in for weeks and, you know, still occasionally, but in just like droves and droves and droves for weeks, I thought in response to that confused, ideologically captured faculty member at Evergreen who had said, when Brett went on Tucker, the world shifted to the right, I thought quite the opposite, quite the opposite. When you went on Tucker, that opened up the world more to the left and in, in, a, in the good way, not the thing that is currently masquerading as the left, but in service of conversation. And frankly, that is what you learned, and therefore I learned, uh, Tucker Carlson was accomplishing with, with having all of these differently, uh, all of these different guests on. Right, which then 
points to the paradox. Yes. And I've been wondering about this since the day that I went on his program the first time. And I, I think I've been on Tucker Carlson tonight four times, and I went on Tucker Carlson today once. Um, so, I've, you know, I've had a number of interactions with him. Unfortunately, the, the gig on Fox is always a few minutes. It's, it's the hardest interview to do because there's just no time to say anything substantial. Um, but his hour-long Tucker Carlson Today thing is quite a different uh, environment, and it offered the possibility for us to interact without the camera on. You were actually there in the studio with Actually him. physically right. present. And, you know, I, you know, I'm, I know we're not in the same place on a lot of issues, but I did find a genuinely decent person. We shared lots of interests. He's a kind of a hands-on, do-it-yourself kind of guy. Um, so anyway, the paradox is, how do we reconcile the person who, you know, is, has partnered with Glenn Greenwald uh, over the span of many years, you know, who reached out to me with compassion at a moment that he might have taken a victory lap for conservatism? How do we reconcile that person with the person that we thought was so awful, right? And what I've come to realize is that actually a lot of the sense about Tucker is a holdover from that prior era, whatever its meaning was, the, the crossfire, crossfire era, the bowtie era. Um, and I think the thing is people assume, in fact, you will hear lots of people say, oh, people don't change. People don't change, right? And of course, what they really mean is that change is very difficult. And therefore, if you think somebody has changed radically, you're more likely wrong than right. But I think the evidence that Tucker has changed is actually readily apparent. And especially in, in the aftermath of his de facto firing, I've gone and looked at a number of things. His, uh, his most recent talk at the Heritage Foundation, utterly fascinating. Absolutely recommend it. Uh, and some smaller podcast talks that he's done. And he talks about, rather like Glenn Beck, he talks about the fact that he regrets his early behavior in his career, that mm -hmm. he feels remorse about it, that he thought he was playing a destructive role, right? Now, that sounds like a person who has grown. And I think part of what I'm wondering is if the, the rap on Tucker Carlson isn't largely based on the fact that people have not checked in on not only how he's grown as a person, but also how he has developed his political understanding, right? That his balanced sense that, you know, if nobody's, if nobody's providing safe harbor for real liberals, that somebody has to do it because conservatism actually depends on real liberals doing their job or it's not going to work, right? That is a very different story, but you never get there because the political modality of the day basically paints somebody with a label and then uh, persecutes you if you don't trust the label and go check for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the rap on me, of course, was nonsense, but what it did successfully was prevented lots of people from checking for themselves. Does this sound like a, a white supremacist, right? Does this sound like a eugenicist or any of the other? Don't touch that. Might right. be contagious. Right. So anyway, that that is going to become an important 
piece of this story, which is that there is a technique that is being used to keep people from checking in with dangerous properties like Tucker Carlson, and the technique involves a stigma for which there is a penalty for checking for yourself. Mm -hmm. And if people did check for themselves, and many have, right, they go watch Tucker Carlson today, they see these monologues, you know, and they realize, oh, actually, he's alerting me to something I'm not seeing on other media that's important and our values aren't so far apart, right? That's what you find if you actually go and check for yourself. But what fraction of the audience just doesn't because they can't? And so mm -hmm. anyway, the second paradox is, did he change or did we have him wrong? Or do we have him wrong now, right? Those of us who have changed our position on, on who he is. Mm -hmm. And I, I firmly come out uh, in the belief that he has changed in a way that his reputation has not caught up to. Mm -hmm. And I did once ask him about this. Um, and the answer was surprising to me, right? I said, you know, you're just not a good match for what I see written about you. And he sort of had a general sense that, um, general sense of what's said about him, but he was not in any deep way paying attention to the daily back and forth and the scuttlebutt this week on, right. So um, anyway, that's probably very healthy, very like Joe Rogan who says, don't read the comments. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you've got a corporation. If, if, yeah. if you know who you are and you know what you're doing and you have some number of close advisors who you are assured will tell you if you appear to be changing or off or uh, that was an error or you know whatever whatever needs to be said to you why would you drag yourself through the other stuff yeah why why would you do it and i think ultimately in the model we are going to to find here there's a question of manipulation right the audience is clearly manipulated We've talked about them being manipulated into not watching for themselves and formulating their own opinion. Um, but the personalities are also manipulated too. And if you are tuned in, then the mm -hmm. point is that is a conduit through which whatever is operating can access you and modify what you do in a way that is not that is useful to it and not to you and mm -hmm. not to your audience. So um, there is definitely a, a strong piece of that flavor. Now, what I want to do is basically throw a number of principles in together and see if they don't resolve the ultimate paradox that we're discussing, which is why would Fox News burn such an important prior, uh, property? Um, and I, I, will, I do just want to... Fox recently settled a major lawsuit um, over allegations that voting machines were insecure. And the idea, I find the idea that they fired Tucker over this preposterous, um, given his importance to their business. Mm -hmm. uh, I also would point out that they settled. They didn't lose a lawsuit. So, yeah, it's a large number, but they chose not to fight it. And this wasn't a primarily a Tucker thing anyway. So none of that makes sense. It kind of suffices if you're just looking for some explanation you can resort to that but it doesn't it's not the right order of magnitude uh and you know so fox appears to have cut off its nose nose <laughs> yes 
I was really trying to change something else. <laughs> For those of <laughs> you just listening, Heather has suffered a furniture malfunction. <laughs> oh my god. Right. Yes, someone had come in. I'm sorry, just go on. Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A furniture malfunction, yeah. you can live that down, right? It's oh. not. A, it's not a wardrobe malfunction. You don't you know. know. I think I do. I do know pretty well. Okay. Um. So, a couple things. I'm just going to put them on the table, and then we'll try to piece them together. Yeah. I have argued for um, using the term Goliath to refer to a force in the universe that one can detect. What is Goliath? Goliath is the force that opposes meaningful change. Now, I say that because, first of all, change is all around us. It's ob there's obviously no force preventing change. But those who have achieved disproportionate power, rent-seeking elites who have uh, disproportionate control, disproportionate security in the future, tend to use that power to prevent radical shifts, because radical shifts can only take them in the downward direction. They're very unlikely. If you're at the top, you can't go up. Um, so this force is troubled by anything that threatens to introduce some kind of change, any event horizon uh, beyond which the future is unpredictable. Goliath opposes that. So the prime directive for Goliath is no meaningful change. And basically, meaningful change refers to the basic flow of well-being, power, and wealth, mm -hmm. right? Is Goliath a conspiracy? No. Goliath is a hybrid between colluding entities, including, you know, things like corporations and political parties, um, departments of state, things like that, and emergent properties, right? The social phenomena that emerge in the, uh, in the social environment that, that buttress the, the current power structure, etc. So um, that is what I'm going to argue is underlying a strange move like this, a business operating in a way that is not businesslike. It does not appear oriented towards maximizing shareholder value over the future. Okay. And I'm going to make a weird connection. We see that same odd phenomenon with the... Uh, Dylan Mulvaney fiasco with Anheuser-Busch. And the idea is, ordinarily, you would find a property like Anheuser-Busch very reluctant to say anything that suggested a strong political perspective at all, because why would you want to limit your beverage consumption to people of one ideology when there might be people of another ideology who are thirsty also. Yeah, I guess I, I'm not, I'm not as compelled that this is the same, um, that, uh, what's going on that your model, you're asking a question about, you know, why Fox appears to be acting in a way that isn't good for Fox's business. Uh, and is the answer the same, as the answer to the question, why is Anheuser-Busch acting in a way that doesn't appear to be good for Anheuser-Busch's business? Now, the VP of whatever at Bush, who at Anheuser-Busch, who made the decision to hire Dylan Mulvaney is on some sort of extended leave of absence now. Not clear. I haven't kept up with the story. I don't know that it really matters. Um, but so, you know, A, Anheuser-Busch did, you know, put some kind of a corrective in place. But that's actually, I don't think, 
that's not so much the interesting part. The, the reason I'm not sure this is the same uh, is that trans rights and specifically trans rights activism is being pushed on us and somehow a tremendously large number of Americans at least and other people in the weird world have, have taken this on as truth that this is the next civil rights battle. And um, if, if you really believe that uh, trans rights is, is, the, is the civil rights battle of the day, and that you also, if you were sort of looking around going like, man, you know, the 60s must have been an amazing time to be alive, you know, really fighting for the thing that should have been the case all along, you know, civil rights was finally happening, we were finally getting there. That wasn't, especially in retrospect, right? Um, civil rights wasn't a political position, it was a human position. This is, this is like, you know, this is, this is what we all should have recognized and we understand to some degree why we didn't, but here we are finally catching up to our, our shared humanity and let's go. But trans rights um, aren't like that, sorry, no, for a number of reasons and we've talked about it a lot. Um, but in part because this is a, you know, opt in, you don't have to do anything but, um, you know, put on a woman face and you get to claim to be a woman. And uh, maybe, maybe more to the point, uh, you just, well, boy, I feel like I'm trying to go in too many directions here. I think, I think you're, you're, uh, what you're saying makes sense, but I think in some sense it's the cover story. And this is the place where, well, but, but it may be, but it may work because it may work because you've actually got people convinced that if, um, you know, pick your hero, if Martin Luther King Jr. or Malcolm X were the civil rights leaders, um, that we all needed in the sixties, uh, maybe Dylan Mulvaney is the leader that, uh, that we all need in the 2020s. And that's, you know, reprehensible on its face. Right. Um, but I think a number of people actually believe that and so you know, maybe the maybe something underlying you know like why is the trans rights agenda cruising with such alacrity <laughs> through all of our lives uh is of course a bigger and maybe more interesting question but um people have compelled themselves for uh because they they really think that not only are they on the right side of history here but that you couldn't possibly there is no possible explanation for being on the other side of it and that's why it is a beautiful bludgeon, right? Because yes. if you can successfully get people to make one leap that this is the same as uh, the fight against Jim Crow or the fight for uh, the freedom of people to be openly gay, um, if you understand this is that fight, then you can look at the map and you can say, well, oh, I know who the people are who, you know, uh, you know, tried to block the schoolhouse from black kids attending and I'm going to be on the other side of that fight. I remember what their angry faces looked like. Right, exactly. And I don't want to be remembered by history. So people are right. terrified mm -hmm. of being on the wrong side of history and um, they have falsely been led to believe that this is a story they already know. It just has a new subject, mm -hmm. right? But I would point out Dylan Mulvaney and Anheuser-Busch that's one example of something that we see again and again and again, right? Twitter was another such example, right? Twitter was throwing people off for saying perfectly mundane 
things, right? Now, there was a conservative bias in who it was punishing, but of course, it punished all sorts of people. It punished uh, Unity 2020 when we were really just trying to elect uh, courageous, capable patriots to the White House, right? In a what may have been a quixotic attempt to do it, but the point was something about Twitter was behaving in exactly the opposite way that you would imagine that a social media site should, and all of them do, mm -hmm. right? A social media site is in competition for attention, eyeballs, people willing to spend time on Twitter. Why is it throwing off users who, like uh, Megan Murphy, are simply asserting that men aren't women, right? Even if the people at Twitter disagree with that, this is a perspective for which there is an audience who would come to Twitter and make Twitter wealthier because the overall Twitter audience is bigger. Same thing, obviously, with YouTube. Um, right. where, you know, where we remain, we remain demonetized uh, for closing it on two years now. Um, but I just saw today or yesterday that I guess Kim Iverson had an interview with uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is, yes, running for president. And this interview was not even that recent, right? Um, but they they took it down. They struck her channel. Yep. Um, for you know, for daring to speak with someone who is running for president, because he suffers from wrong think. You know who As else had so many of you us. You know who else had had Robert Kennedy Jr. on Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so this is going to. So I did on the list of you know corporations behaving badly or mm -hmm. weirdly. You know, Gillette, we've now forgotten, uh, Gillette did some gender weird thing uh, several years ago and created a huge uproar. And, you know, again... How about Hershey's for uh, right, Women's for... Month, National, whatever the month was. But um, And then I think it was Daily Wire who came out with <laughs> their own brand of chocolate, she, her, without nuts, <laughs> and he, him, with nuts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you need someone to tell you which one's which, mm -hmm. it's the wrong chocolate for you. Mm -hmm. um, right, so... Yep. Uh, okay. We've got a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Corporations behaving paradoxically with respect to what they're supposed to be doing, which is making money and more to the point, um, their fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders is to put those shareholders in a good position. So why are they politicizing their products when, you know, conservatives and liberals need to shave, drink beer, you know, whatever it is, or discuss things online? All of this is so paradoxical. Now, did you say conservatives and liberals need to drink beer? Yes. Okay. Well, just just wanted they to go all, back and they, check on that. They both drink okay. beer. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you might imagine that a beer producer wouldn't mm -hmm. want to piss off part of that audience in yeah. advance. Yeah. And in fact, you're not claiming it as a human right. I though. mean, look, this used to, no. Well, <laughs> I'm now in a predicament because I can't drink beer, and so if it's a human ah. right, maybe I'm being oppressed. But because of the gluten. Because of the, the, mm -hmm. the gluten, yeah. But I would point out, in the past, let's take the Coors Corporation. Shall now, we? in my family, it was well understood that Coors was a reactionary family, right? That but, the brand, the family that owned the brand was reactionary. Right. And so there was some, like, grumbling about people drinking Coors because it's like, why would you en enrich those folks, right? But... Coors wasn't being political in their ads. They were doing the opposite. They were mm -hmm. obscuring the fact that, the, you know, or Knott's Berry Farm or any of these 
entities. Which for those who didn't grow up in Southern California, was a, like the third amusement park after um, Disneyland and Magic Mountain. Yeah, it was it was the, the Circus Vargas of, of amusement parks. But, yes. but anyway, the point is brands used to go out of their way not to connect their politics with their product because money is money, right? So paradox is why in the current era are these corporations behaving so weirdly and firing their top star and you know all of these things and of course business people are currently shouting at their television no we're not on television their screens or their speakers because the answer in some sense is obvious the proximate answer it is esg right now esg stands for environment no Environment, Environment, social, and governance. Social and governance, right. Mm -hmm. Which is... So ESG we is... We show... Yeah, this, I'm going to show a little video. Maybe, maybe we me. should just do that. It, it will it will uh, explain itself. Okay. Uh, Zach, cue the ESG. But before you show this, so what, what's the what's the source on this? This is uh, CFI, which is some sort of uh, like a... We, we're going to get back to what ESG is, but I believe it is like a ratings agency. It's basically a... Um, a a uh, facilitator of ESG in the market. CFIS. Yeah. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. You can think of it as an analysis framework to help measure and quantify the degree to which an organization is operating in a sustainable manner. Environmental assessment criteria help stakeholders understand an organization's impact on the environment and the climate, like its greenhouse gas emissions, and its management team's stewardship over natural resources, like fresh water. While understanding environmental risk and impact is a big part of the ESG framework, the concept of sustainability in this context extends well beyond just the environment. The S pillar, social, examines an organization's social impact. It seeks to understand how well leadership manages relationships with stakeholders, including fair wages for workers, generating positive outcomes in the communities where they operate, and taking accountability for the actions and inactions of supply chain partners in other parts of the world. The G, as we know, is governance. So how is the firm led and managed? Stakeholders are increasingly taking note that a healthy corporate governance function can make or break progress in the E and the S realms, but can even create existential threats for business operations more broadly. ESG as we know it evolved from a number of older sustainability-themed acts and frameworks, including EHS, Environmental Health and Safety, and CSR, or Corporate Social Responsibility. But these older frameworks took more of a philanthropic approach, implying that management teams should do good because it's the right thing to do. What's somewhat unique about ESG is that it looks at these issues through the lens of business risk and opportunity, which tends to resonate more clearly with the investment community. These rapidly changing market and non-market conditions have created the ESG landscape as we see it today. This includes the emergence of ESG rating agencies, ESG scores, mandatory public reporting, often called ESG disclosure, and countless sustainability-themed funds and investment strategies. All right. 
Um, let me just say that actually uh, the visuals that go along with that in the absence of the sound are in some ways even more disturbing. It has a kind of a mesmerizing, uh, we are the good people and these are the things that we will do. The thing, so you literally showed this to me within minutes of us starting and I was only listening. So that was, that was the first time I saw the visuals and I took some notes and I thought that my, my overriding sense of this video was that there's, there's no specifics. Right. Um, that, you know, how is it that um, these scores, these, you know, the agencies, the scores, the mandatory reporting, the funds, the investment strategies are being decided on? Like what what are what are the values that lie just below the surface? And we, we hear, for instance, um, leadership managing relationships with stakeholders are taking responsibility for the actions and inactions of supply chain partners in other parts of the world. Taking responsibility for the inactions of supply chain partners in other parts of the world. What thing that your supply chain partners in other parts of the world might they do or not do that would prompt you to be interested? And, you know, so they, they mentioned climate and fresh water, and that's about the only specific things that they even point to at all here. Well, I want to steel man ESG before we... Um reveal what it actually is yeah okay because there are a couple first of all let me just say as a lifelong progressive i believe it is actually philosophically all but certain that our top priority ought to be sustainability properly defined that before we get to anything else humanity should never deliver the next generation a lesser world than the one that we were handed, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you start doing that, it's a very short ride and there are lots of competitive dynamics that will produce that. So I understand the devil is in the details. Uh, defining what it means not to deliver the next generation a lesser world is not an easy thing to do. So operationalizing that is not something I'm even claiming can be well done. But philosophically speaking, our obligation to future generations is something we are falling down on and sustainability. If we were reasonable and just to use common parlance, uh, sustainability should be our top uh, priority before we get to anything else. Um, and there is a game theory problem in sustainability, which I won't go deeply into, but it's a very well understood problem uh, that uh, goes by the name of collective action in uh, in academic circles. And basically what it means is that if each party pursues the best uh, course of action for its own well-being, that the global well-being is decreased by lots of phenomena. In other words, um, the ability of any corporation to reduce pollution enough to make a difference is tiny. Uh, and so um, there's no motivation to cut your own uh, emissions because if your competitor doesn't, then they come out ahead. And so years ago, I, I did a talk, a, a TEDx talk called The Personal Responsibility Vortex, in which I basically said, if in the absence of an enforcement mechanism, if you live your principles, you will actually put your principles, you will set your principles back. And that the, um, the right way to advance your principles is to do whatever course of action makes the most sense, including leaves you healthiest and all of those things, but not to, you know, buy products for the good of the planet, but to buy the right products that are priced correctly and use the surplus 
um, to, to move the world in the direction of the values that you hold rather than try to do it by shopping uh, in a particular way. Because if you did try to leave a sustainable world, then you couldn't avail yourself of almost any of the products that, you know, you know, should, you know this microphone is undoubtedly made of materials that I wouldn't like how they were sourced and produced and the conditions of the workers. So am I not allowed to have a microphone? And by not having a microphone, I can't reach the audience and tell them about the personal responsibility vortex. So am I better off making a compromise at the microphone and being able to reach an audience? Clearly. So uh, in any case, ESG is built around some correct logic and values. The correct logic and values. The values are we want a world that functions well, that's fair, that is inclusive, that is sustainable. And the stated goals of ESG. That's it. Um, and it is true that the market itself does not produce sustainable outcomes. It does not produce fair outcomes, right? It mm -hmm. produces something below that level. And so a coordinated effort is in principle not a crazy idea. But in this case, what ESG is, is an excuse to marshal power in the direction of a political um, objective which is not stated. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, let's take the, um, the question of uh, well, E, E and ESG, right? Mm -hmm. Environment, okay? Environment, well, we all want the environment protected. Brett just said that the top value ought to be sustainability, so presumably he's on board with 15-minute cities. Uh, but did, no, I am not. 15-minute cities are an excuse for control over the population. I am dead set against those things. But if some entity decides that, oh, well, sustainability is good, and therefore 15-minute cities are good, and therefore we want corporations who are advancing the cause of 15-minute cities, and they get a higher rating, which means that when I look at the box of whatever, it says that they're a better corporation, right? Then the point is, the political agenda is using this thing as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And that's um, what I meant by the lack of specificity, that they, that they vaguely state some values that in, in principle, in very vague terms, we all should be able to get behind. Um, and this, I, mean, I guess this is the analogy to the Dylan Mulvaney thing. It's like, well, it's, it's civil rights. We right. can all get behind that, can't we? And then they say, now you don't worry your pretty little heads about any of the specifics and we'll take care of the operationalization part of this process because that's really, that's, you know, that's inside baseball. You wouldn't want to know. And uh, as it turns out, we really do want to know. We have to know and you have to stop until you start telling us what it is that you're doing because this is bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing that I realized in thinking through this. Mm -hmm. ESG is social credit for corporations. It is a yeah, social credit totally. system for corporations. Yes. And mm -hmm. I'm sure others have noticed that. That's but... why I showed the NFT. They said that. Oh, they do? Okay. Well, they say scores, but the point is, those of us who know what the Chinese social credit system is, fear such a thing being instituted in the West. Mm -hmm. We fear it being instituted through uh, central bank digital currencies, for example, all of which is very pl plausible and on the march. Mm -hmm. The idea that this has a wing over in corporate space that is going to operate through ratings agencies that are, for example, going to decide that um, trans rights are a good. Now, are trans rights a good? Yes, up until they are in conflict with somebody else's rights. But the idea that a ratings agency is going to notice that 
uh, a trans person may have struggles in the world and not notice that children are being uh, sterilized under the banner of trans rights, right? Mm -hmm. Which side is good, right? Are the I would say that the people who are protecting children are actually doing the more important job. And so it's not obvious in which direction that score should go, mm -hmm. but it is very obvious which direction it will go. And mm -hmm. so why does this exist? Right. Well, I'm going to argue, and you should probably be sitting down for this. I know that chair can pull surprises <laughs> on you, but... Um, that was all me. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just go randomly flipping levers on chairs, right? In any case, <laughs> the reason that this ESG thing is happening, in my opinion, is that it is a facilitator of this new kind of fascism that we are seeing. And I'm not exaggerating when I say fascism. So fascism is, of course, an ideology that has reared its ugly head many times. The non, the central feature of fascism, is the uniting of government and corporate power. And ESG as a social credit uh, system for corporations is basically aligning corporations with a handed down from above set of values. Uh, now, handed down from above set of values, if the government functioned in a truly democratic way so that those values were really a reflection of what voters uh, believed and wanted, that would be one thing. It would still be fallible, but it would at least mm -hmm. be defensible. But when it's being handed down by something that is not functioning in a democratic way in the slightest, it is absolutely terrifying, right? I would also point out, is it just the corporate uh, government fusion that appears fascist? No, fascists also uh, take a militaristic view of the world. In other words, I have argued that the distinction between um, nationalism and patriotism is that nationalism is basically uh, what your country can do for you, using mm -hmm. your country as a bludgeon, and patriotism is the willingness to sacrifice for your country. They're essentially opposites. They, they have a shared connotation in the mind, but it's wrong. So this corporate-government partnership or fusion, this fascist fusion, has taken a decidedly militaristic view of the world. It is um, uh, effectively coercing other nations. And, uh, you know, you can see the coercion in COVID policy, for example. Why did the whole world take the same approach to COVID? Why did, you know, why are we struggling to find exceptions where we can go to measure a different policy? It wasn't obvious what we should do from the beginning. There should be a huge diversity of policies, but it's all centralized through, you know, uh, the WHO, for example, which is about to gain more power in this milieu. Well, I mean, obvi <clears throat> obviously there's a tension and uh, I, I am, I'm surprised <laughs> to find myself about to be arguing that, you know, we, as we said throughout COVID, um, you know, not, not this product with this disease, with this government, like no mandates, no how under these three conditions. Um, but can you imagine a pathogen so horrifying and so rapidly spreading uh, that a global response was, uh, was actually the thing that needed to happen? Uh, I can, I can. 
um, that we don't have that infrastructure in place. And now, having lived through COVID, I am, you know, bereft of solutions, I guess. Like, I feel like, oh, I would have thought that we should have had something in place in case of such a situation. And now I see that no such, no such situation, no such entity could possibly be trustworthy. Uh, well, uh, it remains to be seen whether a conceivable entity could be trustworthy. What we know is that no entity that is on the map is trustworthy and therefore it puts but all future entities will also be made up of people right but there you know i don't think the game theory is insurmountable i don't think good governance is impossible but i don't think good governance is impossible i am not compelled that good global governance is possible anymore. well uh let's put it this way we are depending on the fact that somebody can come up with a scheme but the uh, solutions of the 18th century are not up to the challenge. That and is true. what we have is a landscape full of malignant entities. And so I agree. I'd love to have a global pu public health authority that actually was interested in public health, had enough humility to figure out when it was making an error and stop making it, was inclined to recommend the obvious in order to improve public health. And we have none of those things. Right. Even... The WHO continues to recommend, as it was doing before COVID, through COVID, and now, um, that if you go outside uh, while the sun is high, you absolutely must cover yourself in sunscreen or clothing because the sun is poison. Yeah. And I don't know that they use that language, but, you know, it's, it's not them, but right. then who is it? Which is insane. Yeah. But all right, so let's begin to tighten this model up a little bit. Yeah. You've got ESG, which is being used to align corporations that are not naturally aligned. It could be used, something like it could be used to align them in the direction of things, you know, solving game theory problems. But this is really functioning as an excuse to align them around uh, a particular set of signals that mm -hmm. they are on board with the uh, crypto-fascist move that we are now collectively uh, being dragged into. And so along the lines of, you know, why... Would Gillette or Anheuser-Busch uh, thumb its nose at some huge fraction of its uh, market? Why would Fox News burn Tucker Carlson and mm -hmm. his audience in a way that is infuriating, right? People who would ordinarily, you know, if Tucker had quit, would still be Fox news viewers are enraged at this as they should be mm -hmm. so why would they do that and right. i was talking to zach about this um in the car this morning mm -hmm. and he uh reminded me of a concept uh it actually uh the first time i said it was the last i think it was the last time i met my uh the last class i taught at evergreen we met in a park or maybe it wasn't the very last time, the second to last time I met them, met in a park um, because it wasn't safe to be on campus. And I had been invited to go on Joe Rogan's program. And I barely knew who Joe Rogan was. Um, these people, of course, knew who Joe Rogan was because they were a good bit younger. And so he was an important person in, in their lives. And anyway, I gave them a little talk about the oddness that their professor was going on this apparently important program. And why that would be happening based on what was going on at their school and all of this. And I said to them, I said, take very careful notes on 
what's going on. We will not be back this way again, right? I knew that this was a one-way trip, that it this, this was not something that was going to be put back together. It couldn't be. Um, and so anyway, why would Fox News burn Tucker Carlson in this audience? Because they're playing a new dynamic in which they know they won't be back this way again. They don't need Tucker, or they need to have Tucker Carlson gone more than they need him for some nebulous future in which they're playing their traditional role. That's the thing that I want to surface here, mm-hmm. is that they are actually, um, and I, you know, there's some good news in this. I know I'm not the good news guy, no, but there is some good news in this, because in order for them to have taken the step of getting rid of Tucker, two things are true. One, they've revealed themselves, mm-hmm. right? They have alerted us that there is something on the march that is behaving very strangely and does not appear to be just a simple corporation trying to, you know, get an audience. Right. It's something else. So be aware mm-hmm. there's something on the march. That's one thing. But here's the other thing. Why did they reveal themselves in this, uh, in this way? They did it because they are insecure. And that is good news. The fact is they are concerned about something enough that they had to make that move. And I think I know what it is. Okay, maybe. I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't see why a move uh, that is a paradox is inherently a reveal of insecurity. It could just be the next step. No, it could be the next step. But the thing is, if, if you want to claim that people are, you know, paranoid, then not making moves that they can spot and say, that's a very odd thing for a media company to do, to go after its biggest you know, chunk of audience and enrage them, right? That's a weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so why would they do that rather than continue to hide? If they were feeling secure, it wouldn't be worth making that aggressive move. Well, no, I mean, again, I would say it could be about feeling secure, feeling insecure, but it also could be about being on the move. They could feel secure, but also be on the move in pursuit of something. I believe they are, but I believe they have been forced out of hiding in some sense. That the point is they can't just simply march where they're going, that there's actually something they know that they're in in danger. And I think in part they know that they're in danger because Trump revealed that their control the duopoly's ability to shut out anything meaningful is not complete, um, which then raises this odd paradox. You had RFK Jr. going on Tucker Carlson's program, right? This is supposed to be matter and antimatter, right? This is a dyed-in-the-wool liberal from a famously liberal important family mm-hmm. going on the program of arch conservative Tucker Carlson uh, to announce his bid for the Democratic nomination for the president. And that is a remarkable fact in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Tucker Carlson is, of course, hospitable is very troubling. Why? Because this troubling? is some what do you mean troubling it's troubling to the forces that to goliath okay. it's troubling because um because effectively why would people who are politically so far apart 
be finding common cause? Why would why would this be anything other than a very contentious interview in which Tucker Carlson is trying to get to the bottom of RFK's liberalism and show it to be false? Why would it be, uh, you know, a, a meeting of, uh, of of unity and alignment? Well, because they're both patriots. And the point is Goliath is not patriotic at all. Goliath wants to main, maintain control and the illusion of democracy, but cannot afford democracy. And so here's my contention, just to sum it up. Bobby Kennedy is terrifying to the DNC because well, he should be. in office, he would do the job that Democrats are supposed to do. And that is uh, in direct conflict with the DNC's business model. And the DNC is not supposed to have a business model, but it very clearly does. And so it mm. panders to its voters, but its real constituents are not voters. It's powerful, rent-seeking elites. Bobby Kennedy would have the bully pulpit in the role of president and considerable power. And it is much more terrifying to the DNC than... Uh, something like Trump. In fact, Trump is good for the DNC because the DNC does not have an, a, a valid argument in favor of electing its candidates other than Trump, right? So they fear uh, RFK Jr. Mm -hmm. And so here's the point. RFK Jr. goes on Tucker Carlson's program and uh, reveals in showing up there and having a cordial conversation about a political, uh, about a bid for the presidency, um, the danger to Goliath. And here's what I think is afoot. Tucker Carlson's position has been very similar to what happened in podcast world over the course of the last four or five years. Um, although he sat in a mainstream media chair, his position was quite heterodox. And the point is, if you were going to make a move in which you were going to somehow learn the lesson that Goliath should learn from COVID and realize that although it, can, it owned all of the big media properties, that it could not maintain control over the narrative and that truth emerged, not fully, but in, you know, across lab leak, across repurposed drugs, uh, vaccine safety and effectiveness, the proliferation of variants, all of these things, the actual narrative broke through the media control because Goliath did not understand what podcast world was or why anybody would listen to somebody in a man cave or any of those things. Or sauna. Or sauna, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so the point is, let's say that that's going to happen uh, over the course of the next electoral cycle through the presidential What's election. What's going to happen? That we are going to have a battle in which the mainstream media is all going to sing from the same hymnal and podcast world is going to reveal the insanity of that hymnal. And worse, Twitter being a free property because Musk has freed it is going to be a place where we can discuss the paradox of why the mainstream media is focused on a narrative that's obviously not true, right? Um, and you might have a like an actual presidential figure running for office, right? Not a, uh, you know, a wrecking ball like Trump, but somebody who actually aspires to right the ship of state. So my contention is Tucker couldn't remain in a mainstream seat 
because what he is doing crosses over into the mainstream. And if it is shunted over into podcast world, then whatever this force is can, I don't know if it's going to use ISPs or uh, credit card processors or whatever it's going to use against podcast world or some industrial strength uh, propaganda campaign that learned the lesson of COVID and, you know, proceeds to do a better job. But the point is, Tucker had to be shoved out because his mainstreamness was out. It did not fit whatever is coming. And I would just say the a prediction of this model is that the other person on the other side of the aisle who fits that same description... Uh, Don Lemon. No, I don't. Don Lemon is a very different property. That's what I thought. So who are you thinking of? Bill Maher. Oh, that Bill Maher is also a heterodox yeah. person with a large audience sitting in a mainstream seat. And, you know, it's funny. I had that mm -hmm. thought, and then I happened on Twitter. I didn't know Elon Musk had been uh, interviewed by Bill Maher, but I think this must have happened mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, yep. And anyway, they talk. They don't. They allude to this jokingly that Bill Maher, that, uh, you know, Elon is the Grim Reaper or the Typhoid Mary uh, of uh, talk shows that, you know, uh, Tucker interviewed him and now Tucker is out of a job. Um, and so they is joked it just that, one? Is there just one previous example? I don't know. That's the one I know. But, okay. um, but they joke maybe Bill Maher is next. But I wonder if Bill Maher either something works to chasten Bill Maher, which I hope is impossible. I hope he's just a free man and uh, can... Yeah. Uh, evade whatever controls they are. But if not, you might wonder if his mainstream seat mm -hmm. might be in jeopardy in the upcoming uh, year because well, the election... If if all of this is true, and I think, you know, I, I don't see anything to object to in your analysis except for the... Um, except for your contention that this necessarily reveals a lack of security on the part of Fox. Um... I think it's even more important that, uh, for lack of a better descriptor, podcast world, non-mainstream media world, uh, stop the infighting already. Uh, so you mentioned uh, podcasters and Twitter, and obviously in, in written uh, word, Substack is the main contender there, and the shenanigans that Elon Musk continues to pull with Substack are untenable. Like that, that is... That is uh, you know, breaching unwritten, unspoken agreements, sort of gentlemen's agreements that I think we assumed that we had and that really um, should be should should go back into place uh, because you know we're we're in it we're in it for society here. Like this is this this is this is big. Goliath is super powerful, and as much as you know. I, a single billionaire like Musk is going to be very, very powerful himself. If Podcast World and uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Twitter and Rumble and Locals and Substack can stop the infighting, uh, then we have a better chance. So at the moment, um, just, just as a reminder, briefly, uh, Twitter had stopped allowing any Substack links to be um, to to be clicked through on at all. You got an error message. This might be dangerous stuff. 
Um, and that actually stopped happening while we were talking about it on air a couple weeks ago. Um, but quietly, and I've heard no one talk about this, what has replaced that, um, that insane policy is now you can, you can link to a Substack, but it just shows up as a line of indecipherable, hot linkable uh, text, and the social media assets don't come along with it. So you don't get the image that comes along with the thing, and, it, and it's, it's, it's not interesting to share, and so, it's not, so stuff is not being shared. So, you know, come on, stop that. There is no reason beyond the really petty competitive stuff between a future a Twitter property and what is established as Substack and the future Substack property, you know, notes on Twitter, yeah, going after each other competitively. Uh, but you know, this, this is not helpful. So I'm going to propose something. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the unholy alliance built around ESG has to have a countervailing force. And the countervailing force is those properties that are actually built to protect the values around the West, around which the West is founded. Most importantly, uh, free exchange of ideas. Um, and so, what I would propose is that the countervailing force, the honorable alignment, and I'm not suggesting these businesses aren't in competition, but the honorable force should be the internet beyond the wall. And the internet, idea, beyond, the the wall, internet okay. beyond the wall, the free people of the internet need to look out for each other. We may have our differences, but mm -hmm. we yeah. need to look out for each other because the real enemy is Goliath. And um, that is uh, that is enough of a hazard to, uh, to the West that um, all of the other stuff is secondary. So yes, Elon, I would ask you... Um, Maybe there's stuff we can't see, but please uh, be mindful of the fact that the public square cannot be a monopoly. That's not how it's going to work. That's right. Uh, so we have to go. Mm -hmm. um, I hope that spring is still happening the next time we see you guys, um, because we have been seeing some amazing springy things with foxes and swallows and ladybugs and eagles. And uh, I'd like to talk about that perhaps next time. I don't think we have time now. Excellent. Um, we will be back on Tuesday, May. Does my calendar think it's March? May 9th at 2 p.m. Pacific, and then the following Saturday, May 13th, um, at the usual time. Unless it's going to be a little while before you see us again, but um, but there's lots of other things to do. Again, it's spring, and if you're in the southern hemisphere, it's fall. Get outside while you still can with short sleeves on, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah. Uh, thank you, as always, for joining us. And until we see you next, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Be well, everyone. <laughs>